Hey, this is Red Beach from Whitesnake, and you're listening to Iron City Rocks. Give you some money, man. I got two tickets, but I'm taking everybody, and you're listening to Iron City Rocks. Hang out and turn it up. episode 410 of the Iron City Rocks podcast. I'm your host, John, coming to you from the Iron City of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, bringing you the best rock, hard rock, heavy metal, and blues talk on the net. Episode 410, we have two uh, returning guests, actually. Uh, this time around, we have joining us Iron City Rocks Hall of Famer, Rib Beach, who will be uh, coming into Pittsburgh to do a show, actually coming into Greensburg, I should say, Greensburg, Pennsylvania, to do a show on the 14th with, with Whitesnake. Uh, they have a new album, Flesh and Blood, which will be coming out on uh, May 10th. A fantastic record, uh, and a couple of the singles are already available on YouTube, but um, having had an opportunity to listen to the entire album, I can tell you that it really, it really uh, I think, even takes forever more their previous album uh, to a new level. Uh, this album, uh, I think, features a lot more of Rebs playing um, in kind of a... A different format than really you would hear from uh, a winger album. I think he kind of goes in some more bluesy directions. Uh, really, the fireworks and guitar. I think even in the interview, you'll hear him talk about uh, you know some of his playing is sort of the Steve I of White Snake uh, right now. So uh, really a fantastic record. Uh, he is now kind of the musical director of the band, which we we talk about as well. So. Uh, we're going to give you a chance to hear a little bit of that in just a moment, and we'll get and we'll talk with Reb. Also joining us on the episode, uh, one of my personal favorites, uh, a guest who uh, always takes an interview in, in just crazy directions. We have joining us Eddie Money, Eddie, who will be coming in to do a show on May 11th at the uh, Meadowlands Racetrack and Casino. Uh, they've got a really cool uh, venue down there, and some great bands have played there over the years. I know, uh, for example, 38 Special, Vince Neil. Uh, Dennis DeYoung has played shows there so that's uh, for those of you in the 70-79 corridor uh, people even in Wheeling, Youngstown not too far to get there from uh, those locations, looking forward to seeing Eddie as he comes back and he's celebrating his 70th birthday and uh, the second season of uh, Real Money is uh, premiering on Axis television so we'll talk about all that in just a little bit but first, let's give you a taste of the new White Snake. we'll get into that interview with Mr. Red Beach
pleasure to welcome Darren to the Rocks. We have on the line Red Beach of Whitesnake. How you doing, man? Hey, good. Doing great. Well, it's great to talk to you. Uh, it's been been a little while. Um, you guys are going to be releasing the follow up to Forevermore um, here finally later on this week, actually, with uh, Flesh and Blood. Um, actually, next week. My apologies. Um, you obviously have you've been with the band now for quite a long period of time. Uh, for a, for a white snake guitarist, uh, you've got a very long tenure, I should say. Um, can you talk about the, the role you took in this album? I know it's a little more involved than, than maybe in the past. Yeah, um, much more, much more involved in in the music and the production uh, than ever before. <clears throat> when when Doug left the band, I kind of took his place and became the music director. Mm-hmm. Uh, which was which was great, and um, you know, got to work with David writing. I mean, I suppose the best part of it was that I got to write the song with David Coverdale. You know? Yeah, yeah. And yeah, I mean, I'm yeah. I'm a songwriter, and um, uh, I was just chomping at the bit to do it for years. Mm-hmm. Um, and I finally got my chance, and it, it was not what I expected. It was amazing. He's a good songwriter, um, yeah. and he, he, yeah, he had a bunch of ideas already. Um, we didn't even get to my ideas until way later in the project because you know he just has a million ideas. He's amazing. You should have heard, you know, like it all goes very quickly when you're writing with David. You know, yeah. he picks up an acoustic and he starts playing. Well, I never. And you know, he has all these ideas, and they're great ideas, and you just kind of have to. Uh, you know, think about them uh, more produced. You know, like yeah. how can we make this rock? And uh, it worked out good. When, when you're writing riffs and, and kind of toying with ideas, you, you mentioned something very interesting. Thinking about something produced, you've done this long enough, and you've worked with Kip and Alice and you know many other artists over your career. But are you able to do that? You know, where you know. 30 years ago you're noodling around on a guitar and you think oh this is a cool riff but maybe you can't conceptualize what it's going to sound like on the other end of you know mastering and and, and things like that um, are you able to kind of do that now with the experience you have in this industry to listen to what might sound like a you know maybe a, a simple riff or a cool idea but to picture it as the finished product almost yeah I, I, I can do that uh, I'm not as good at it as Kip Winger Mm-hmm. who's the genius at it he hears mm-hmm. whole orchestrations and stuff but you know it's basic rock <clears throat> you know the style of music that I do is just you know you start with a guitar riff and you make that either your verse or your chorus and then you just add on whatever else you need and it's it's just the same style of music mm-hmm. it's not like I'm you know have to be George Martin and you know right. think of you know let's add a didgeridoo or, or a banjo, you know. <laughs> it's just, it's, you know, it's two guitars all playing the same riff. It's it's what all my music sounds like. When when so, you when you write though, yeah. do you do you think in terms of, you know, I, I don't know how you would almost avoid it, but but that's why I asked the question. Are you able to say, okay, I'm I'm writing a song. This is, you know, a riff that Reb would produce regardless of whether this was for White Snake or does the influence of, you know the John Sykes's and, and the, all the guitarists that have come before you in that band and even Richie Blackmore in, in you know, David's <clears throat> career prior, does that kind of seep in and you kind of draw from that as, as a, you know, maybe a template, so to say? I don't. David does. 
uh, I, I don't at all. I just mm-hmm. I write the stuff that I write, mm-hmm. um, and you know it just happens to be the same kind of stuff as those right. guys do too. You know, <laughs> right? <laughs> but it's David who, um, you know, he he'll he'll gravitate towards something that might sound like old white snake to right. him, um, and and he also likes anything that is. Uh, reminiscent of his favorite bands, you right. know, from, from you know, like uh, the Faces or, sure. um, you know, and he's such a music aficionado. He has one of the biggest iTunes collections of all time. Mm-hmm. Just you know, terabytes of of music. So he has a lot to draw from. So I mean, when, when you're throwing out ideas, does he just kind of say, okay, you know, good riffs on, but you know, that one's maybe not. A white snake riff, you know. I mean, for lack of a better term. What did he say? He says, "Save that one for Wing Adopt." Yeah, you know. Uh, yeah. You and, think and, about that. You know, if you had thrown in, you know, Madeline, you know, or Madeline, it may not no fit way. with David, but you know, it's no, fantastic that, that in its own be, right. That would no way he would he would go for that. That's too complicated. It's too progressive. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you know, you gotta stay stick with the blues. Stick with an easy riff, mm-hmm. you know. Um, that and and the the best way to sell your idea to David is to pick up an acoustic and play it. You know, mm-hmm. if you've got something that's already produced and you play him a tape, um, you know he'll listen to it, but he'll be much more inspired if you play it on acoustic from scratch, so sure. he can you know uh, start coming up with ideas because. That's what he is, you know. He he just comes up with ideas. He's very creative, and he loves that opportunity. And the more you can um, make that available to him, sure. the better. Do you work when you're approaching like the soloist of these songs? Do you work off particular scales that maybe fit this style more of a pentatonic bass than maybe you would with a winger solo, or even you know you're working docking? Nah, it's you know it's most of my solos are pentatonic. They're mm-hmm. either pentatonic or um, or mixolydian mm-hmm. once in a while. <laughs> but um, you know, I always start off pentatonic. You know, unless it's like an Indian song or something. Sure. <laughs> but sure. yeah, but for the you know ninety eight percent of it is just pentatonic stuff and bends and you know whammy bar tricks and you know right. it's kind of. Um, it's all improv improvisation, and I'm just I'm pretty good at improv, and, sure. and Joel's very good at it too. Yeah, yeah. Now, as the you know changing hats to the musical director, can you talk about you know how much do you I mean do you walk up to the you know Tommy and say you know I want you to do this, or do you just kind of step back and you know let them do what they need to do unless there's something that maybe you know David's not happy with sound wise, or can you talk about the that hat? Yeah, well, I don't get paid anymore for that hat. Um, it's just you need a guy that that makes the last decision. Yeah, you know, and uh, and the guys all trust me. They all know me. Um, I'm easygoing, so uh, I'm, it makes it easy. Uh, if if there's a question as to which ending is cooler, yeah, I'll say that's the one. Um, and you know, it's it's a total. Uh, democracy like if, if somebody mm-hmm. you know says look I really hate this part then we'll work a way around it you yeah. know it works for everybody um, 
but that's pretty much it from the musical director standpoint mm-hmm. because you know, David's the musical director, you know. Yeah. So, so, so my job is I'm like a conduit to him from the band. Like, you know, we want to do this song, and so it's my job to go and tell David, "Hey, David, the band kind of likes this song. What do you think?" You know. Do it anyway. Say, yeah, you're yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> do it. Do it anyway. Yeah. At the end of the day, if his name's on the check, you're going to listen to his direction. Certainly. Yeah. Um, we do what he wants. As is in working with Joel, you've you've worked with him for a while. You worked with Doug, obviously, uh, prior to that. Um, in a two guitar democracy, um, how do you work that out? I mean, because obviously both of you are incredibly accomplished musicians, and I'm sure if the other one had to take a sick day, the other guy could probably pull off all the leads. Um, but how do you, how do you sure. decide who who does what? I mean, because guitarists are notoriously don't want to let anybody else do the solos. So uh, you know, how do you check the ego and say, you know, Joel, you take that one? Well, there's different ways of doing it. Um, you know, the way I did it is because I'm dealing with Joel Hoekstra here, and the guy mm-hmm. can play anything, mm-hmm. and you know, he can do it in his sleep, um, perfect takes. You know, yeah. and <clears throat> there's certain things that I'm not inspired by. Like, mm-hmm. if you just give me, like, you know, let's say it's just going dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun forever, you know, mm-hmm. and there's no good riff to play off of or there's no good chords to play off of, I won't be particularly inspired by that. So I um, chose the ones that I liked playing over best mm-hmm. and, you know, just split it right down the middle. I took six and gave him six, the other six, because he'll he's happy playing over anything you know he can play he can make anything <laughs> sound good and uh, so that wasn't a problem you know but I think with me and Doug Aldrich Doug would um, give me the solos that maybe were more kind of Steve Vai-ish right you know I was kind of the Steve Vai guy with my tapping um, and I'm pretty good at the blues so yeah. if it was a bluesy thing he'd give it to me yeah, and it, it, it's it's always fun. I think for you know all of us, and this kind of goes back to you know the priests and the maidens of the world to sit and listen to the to the new album, you know, without liner notes, without you know anything to go off of, and try to you know figure out who played what, you know. And, and I don't want you to spoil the mystery because that that's you know a lot. I think there's probably a lot of people out there like me that try to do that, you know. And uh, I think you can tell me and Joel like instantly. I mean, but that's just because I know our styles. You yeah. Know? He's got a Les Paul. Most of his solos are with a mm-hmm. wah. Um, and I have, you know, kind of my different, I have my own vibrato, and I tap all the time. Yeah. So, you know, we're totally different. Yeah. Was there Were there particular songs on, on the new album that you, you know, kind of inspired you the most when it came to the soloing aspect? Yeah, there, there's my baby on the on the album that I spent months writing and rewriting for David to get him to put it on there um, you know Doug Aldridge had a great song Forevermore mm-hmm. on uh, it was a title track to, uh, to the last studio record and um, I wanted a song like that on, on the end of the album you know a big epic of rock ballad tune mm-hmm. you know in, in the vein of Aerosmith you know who always had like you know you see me crying or you know yeah. like a really cool huge epic ballad at the end mm. of the album to, to end it um, and so I worked on Santa Time and when I first brought it to David he said no and he said but he it has potential so 
Um, he said, try changing this up and don't make this so Zeppelin-y. And, mm-hmm. um, and finally I had a, a, a version that he said, okay, let's try this, because he had a great melody in the verse. Right. Anyway, in, in the solo on that one, um, you know, it was one of those solos that you had to have the feeling, you know, you had to, had, had to have the, the vibe so uh, I worked hard on that solo and, and got it on a first take. I try, solos like that, you try and get on a first take, you know. Um, and that one was a first taker. Let me ask you so this. It's Sands of Time, it's called. When you get it on the first take, how many more takes do you do anyway? Are you a guy who can just, okay, that was it, I nailed it, I'm going to stop? Uh, or are you a, you did it 50 times, but you still use the first kind of guy? Uh, we'll see, it just depends. You know, like it, if I'm taking a stab at a solo and I've already done it, you know, four times and haven't mm-hmm. hit one yet, that mm-hmm. means I'm going to do another 10 of them until I get it. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> just, it's just I'm not feeling it, you know? Right. Um, and on the other hand, on a song like Witness from Winger, um, well, that was first take. But it was it wasn't really first take. Well, here's the story because it's a great story. Is that <laughs> all morning long I worked on this song "Witness." That was again. It was the big epic ending mm. solo, sure. a la "Headed for a Heartbreak." Right. And I I had to show that I still got it. Yeah, yeah, I'm older. I'm 20 years older than "Headed for a Heartbreak," but I'm still here. You know. Right. Well, that wasn't happening. It was bad. I I was just, I was. <laughs> It was sucking, and Kip was like, "What do you want to do?" And it was like twelve thirty, one o'clock in the afternoon. And I said, "I don't know what to do. I'm freaking out." And he said, um, well, "Let's go to lunch." So we went to lunch, and we came back, and it, it was still sucking. So I said, "I'm going to do something really weird. I'm going to smoke marijuana." <laughs> so I did, so I smoked, which I never ever do until you know late at night, you know. It's not something I would do in the daytime. So I did it, and boom, Witness happened, which is is my best solo, like, hands down. And because it's it's first take, and you can really tell it's first take. You know, there's just no punches in it. Um, No. And, you know, so it can go either way. You You can have real problems with it, or it could actually be first take. Like, I just did a, um, a thing with Jeff Pilson mm-hmm. for Frontiers Records um, that we're not allowed to say the name yet, but sure. um, uh, Robin McCauley is singing. Most of those solos were first take, and I don't know why. I, I just, I wrote all the songs and I felt real comfortable playing over the stuff and um, maybe that's why. And it was a joy to work with Jeff Pilson. Just yeah. He's a very, uh, you know, he's so excitable and he's always upbeat and positive yeah he seems to be a, a great conduit for creativity for a lot of people and that's a, it's a wonderful thing to hear now let me ask you on the solo for witness then does this set you up for a problem doing this down the road live i mean do you need to to partake in you know the herb before every show then if you're going to play that <laughs> or, or are you able to pull that you have no, a kind I of channel that I only needed that to write it. Um, it's 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 a difficult solo because there's a lot of whammy bar stuff, mm-hmm. and and so you know the whammy bar when when there's a whammy bar riff, it's kind of hard to get that whammy to do the exact same thing every time. You know, sure. it's, it's a matter of tension and knowing how much tension to have on there. Now, as a player, Reb, I mean, I know 
talking to Steve Vai not long ago who had said he was going to work on some technique and go away for a year to do it. Do you still push yourself in certain directions musically? Obviously, you, you, I mean, you've had more skill than most of us will ever dream of 25 years ago when you were doing this, but as a player now at your age, do you... You know, do you still identify shortcomings and, and kind of woodshed to get over those, or are you pretty comfortable with where you're at for what you do? I'm pretty comfortable with with where I'm at. I know I have shortcomings, mm-hmm. huge shortcomings. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like like uh, I only really play with three fingers. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I could make my playing a lot better, but it's like <laughs> I'm not one of those guys that carries my guitar around with me mm-hmm. all the time and you know practices every day and, and it's great to practice every day um, it, it's it makes a lot of sense mm-hmm. I'm just I just don't do it I, I don't even play guitar when I'm home like ever <laughs> just just if I'm writing a song or doing a session for someone or playing a gig you know but mm-hmm. I'm you know I'm not like one of these guys and there's a lot of them who just shed all day long sure you know get better and get better and get better I'm I'm happy kind of where I am. I mean, I'm getting older, you know, like I I lock up now when it's humid out. Like mm-hmm. at the show last night, I had to shorten my solo because um it was really humid and I guess it's just you know starting to get arthritis. I don't know what mm-hmm. it is, but uh, you know, I, my fingers kind of lock up. Um and it only happens in the humidity. Yeah, the, I mean, that's, I think it's important to be comfortable, you know, and there are certain people that can just seem to push and push and push themselves, but, you know, it's enviable, you know, to get to a point where you have had the success you've had, you you know, obviously in still in high demand as a player, um, you know, with two obviously successful touring bands and, you know, other projects in the work. Um, well, you, know, you know, Kip, let me tell you, Kip, I, there was this one thing I used to practice over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. Um, it was like a, it was sweep picking. Sure. <laughs> and I mean, I started practicing it in 1989 with with Kip, and then it was about 20 years later. Kip walked in and I was practicing it, and he said, "You know, you still can't do that. <laughs> Give it up. <laughs> Just like you'll never be able to do that." And I'm like, "You're right." And I gave it up. <laughs> you know, it's probably good to hear you say that because I think I've been practicing that since about 1989 too, and I still suck. It, it just sounds like a it sounds like a bunch of muted notes played really slow and kind of clunky. Yeah, it's, it's terrible. It's very sloppy. Yeah, yeah. I remember getting the the Michelangelo Badio video, and he's just kind of gliding across the strings back and forth, and it was just so beautiful. And I'm like, uh, why can't I do that? Why do I? You know, my yeah. fingers just don't move that fast. Yeah, um, it's not my thing. Yeah, but then you you know you watch a guy like Jeff Beck and you think, wow, you know, there's a totally different approach to the instrument. That's you know, got a it's a magic of all it's on its own. So that's I think why people love the guitar so much. You know, there's always, you know, there's different things that people can exceed at. We don't all have to do the exact same thing, you know, well to be good at an instrument. You know, it's just a yeah. Well, he's about the best there is. Yeah, I mean that. Yeah, I mean that's a his vibrato is just so amazing to watch him play, but you know totally yeah. different animal than sweep picking. I you know, I don't know that I've ever seen him sweep pick. You know? <laughs> no, he never so, will. <laughs> you know, and he doesn't need to. Is is my point? Yeah. So, well, that's fantastic. Yeah. Well, Reb, I don't want to keep you any longer. You're going to be coming in back uh, home to Greensburg to do a show on the uh, 14th, I believe it is, 
That's yep. Palace, and uh, the new album drops on the 10th, if I'm not mistaken. Um, new music from Winger forthcoming, or is that still kind of... Yeah, we, we, re- we start writing in August. Okay, great. So hopefully we'll have something out next year. Awesome. Okay, well, thank you so much, and we look forward to seeing you when you get into town. Thank you. I really enjoyed it. The concert event, Nightmares Are Made Of. Alice Cooper. Hailstorm. With special guest, Motionless and White. The live show you can't escape. Friday, July 19th, KeyBank Pavilion. Tickets on sale now at LiveNation.com or Ticketmaster.com. Part of the Bordas and Bordas Concert Series. All right, again, a big thank you to Iron City Rocks Hall of Famer Red Beach. Uh, they will be in Greensburg on the 14th to do a show at the Palace. A fantastic uh, opportunity to see a band in a really cool venue. Saw them last summer myself when they opened, uh, I don't want to say open, they kind of co-headlined with Foreigner at the KeyBank Pavilion. Um, it'll be great to see them do a full-on headline show, though. The new album, Flesh and Blood, comes out May 10th. Uh, that'll in, obviously infuse some new material into the set. Uh, and, a, and a lot of great songs worthy of being moved into the set. And that's not something um, you can always say with bands, that they've got new material that deserves to be in their set. I think anybody who's seen you know, some of the 80s and 70s bands, you rarely get new songs in the set. But it'll be interesting to see what White Snake does fold into that as well. Um, turning your attention now to uh, Mr. Eddie Money, one of uh, my personal favorites. Uh, I've enjoyed his music really um, since I was an early teenager. Um, he, uh, I think, always had albums that kind of spoke to me personally, and it, it's always a joy to speak to him because he's just absolutely hilarious. Uh, he's always got a joke and a, and a funny story, and takes a, the uh, interview in a direction that you cannot map out. Um, you know, never a person who likes to, to chart out every question. I ask artists maybe for good or bad, uh, but with Eddie, it's really not worth asking, uh, having any sort of questions set out to ask because he's going to go whatever direction he goes, and, and I enjoy that uh, tremendously about talking with him. So he's going to be coming to the Meadowlands on the 11th of May, so let's play you a little classic Eddie Money. We'll get into that interview.
Eddie, how are you? Good, how are you doing, Eddie? I'm doing good today. How's everything going back there? It's going very well. We're in the springtime here in Western PA, so sun is shining for a change. Good stuff. Fantastic. What's it about? It's about what, forty-five degrees or what? No, actually, today we're going to hit about seventy-five today, but that's uh, we're going to get some storms. So. Oh, that's fantastic. that's fantastic. Well, you know, things are going good out here. We just finished the second season of uh, Real Money, and people seem to like it, so that's doing good. And it's really the show's good for the kids too, because you know Desmond's got a promising career ahead of him. Yeah, uh, Jessica's really got some great songs. She sings ba- back up with me on stage. Mm-hmm. And my son Julian is playing drums, so there's going to be three of us up on stage. It's like a family affair, you know. It's really yeah. cool. How um, do you, have you seen the show translate to to larger audiences at your live shows? Is that phenomena going to happen? Uh, well, I tell you, some of the live shows. Uh, I don't know what's going on. Like, you know, when it comes to social media and stuff like that, mm-hmm. I have no control over anything like that. I sure. mean, I get phone calls coming in, and I and I make them. I'm looking forward to getting back there. We got a lot of friends in that area in Western Pennsylvania. Sure. Matter of fact, the promoter called me. Say, you any money associations? You got a bigger guest list than the Rolling Stones. What's going on back here? <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, it's going to be a great uh, night. You're coming in was to do a show at the Meadows. Um, I, for one, am got my tickets already. We went to good excuse to go to the casino a couple weeks ago and pick up the tickets. We're going to come out and check out the show. Um, I heard a lot. Of, I've heard a lot of great things. I've heard a lot of great things about that meadow. As a matter of fact, I had a buddy of mine that won five thousand dollars at that casino. Can you yeah. believe that? After the night I had, no, I can't. That it was not my. <laughs> it wasn't in the cards for me personally, but uh, yeah. You know, when I, I I go to the when I go to the casino, I go in for the first ten minutes. And I put down a hundred dollars. If I'm gonna lose it, I'm gonna lose it. That'll be it. But if I'm gonna win, I'm gonna keep going. You know. Yeah. That's. I think the key to a casino is you got to set the amount of money you're willing to lose before you just stop. And you know, right. Once, once you do that, you're okay. Can you talk a little uh, bit about you know how you put your set list together? Obviously, you've got you know some hits that you have to play, or you know they probably lynch you. Right. Yeah. But um, do you get to work in some different material? You know, at this stage of your career. Uh, well, you know, I got a new album that's coming out. That's really a great record. It's called "It's a Brand New Day." Okay. That's the title track of the record, and uh, I think the new material I have is really—it's right up there with No Control. The album is so good; it's got ten of my favorite songs on it. I got a song in there about my daughter. I got a song about that, my relationship with my wife. You know, mm-hmm. it's a—it's uh, a funny record. There's some really good stuff on there, and um, yeah, it's been—it's been a while since we've had new music, um, so it'll be great to to check that out. Were you involved? Um, you know, I know with with throughout your career, you've done. You know, there's one one of the things that kind of sets you apart from some of your your peers. When you were involved in the songwriting of a lot of your hits, you know, you weren't just a, you know, we've got a team of writers sending Eddie a bunch of hits. Um, did you do a lot right. of writing on this, the new record? Uh, the new record, I did all the writing on it. Nice. All the writing on the record is new, except for so called Dog Bar. Uh, I don't want to be no Western heroes. I didn't write that, but all the other songs I, I wrote. It's really a great record. I got so many great songs on it, and uh, I'm thrilled about it. And we're putting the record out at the same time we're putting out the new TV show in May. Okay. Oh, we're doing the starting the second starting the second season. That's on Axis, A X S. Right. So uh, Axis TV and the yeah, that's fantastic. Now. Um were you, did you, you mentioned having you know some of your children in the band? Were they involved in the recording of the album as well? 
Not really. Okay. You know, no. I mean, they, they play great live. And when, when I'm out there with the kids. I mean, the fans, you know, the parents love it because they got mm. kids and the yeah. kids are all my age. And if it's so, to see the kids on stage, they really, and you know, Julian's a great drummer. Mm. He's not drinking. I hate it when he puts, you know, you know what are you going to tell these kids when they get fucked up? You know, they get <laughs> fucked up and you think about what you did when you were their age, you know? Yeah. But, <laughs> you know, basic, basically speaking, the, the band sounds great. I gotta find some wood to knock up because we're getting great reviews in the papers and the TV and stuff like that. And um, I don't know things are going good, you know. Yeah. Now the new album was it um, something you kind of financed or did you actually go through a label? You know, because the music industry has changed so dramatically since you started. You know. Well, you know, these, these are all tracks that I, that I did that I always really liked, but the record company wanted to use this track or that track. Mm. But these are like my favorite tracks. And I finally had a chance to put them all on this one record. It's called, the name of the record is called It's a Brand New Day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd love to hear it. Um, when you were, you know, in in the kind of the throes of, you know, Columbia and in, in the, the kind of superstardom that you had in the 70s, did you have a lot of creative control over what you did or were, you know, because, you know... The, well, I did. I, I wrote Baby Old On. I wrote Two Tickets mm-hmm. to Paradise. I wrote Shaken. I wrote all those songs. Mm-hmm. And of course, we put them all on record. But yeah, a lot of the record, uh, a lot of the record, and a lot of the producing was me. I worked with Keith Olsen. I worked with mm-hmm. Richie Zito. I worked with the legendary Tom Dowd. I mean, I had some really good. I worked with. Uh, I worked with some really great people, and I learned a lot too. But uh, yeah, the new record is so- it's sonically correct. It's an enjoyable record. The lyrics are all good, and it's, it was a lot of fun to put together. I'm telling you, I'm very proud of the record. I'm proud of the TV show. The kids' careers are doing pretty good, and you know I'm doing good. Yeah, that's a, that's about all you can ask for. Even in, in the, especially in the entertainment industry, you know, this music industry specifically. Like I said, it's it's changed so much from the eras, uh, you know, from the '70s to you know 2019 that you know well, yeah, it's, it's a very different. Le- yeah, kid. I'm sorry. You had Kid Leo, you had B. Mitchell Reed, you had all these great DJs, Cousin Brucey, mm-hmm. Murray Decay. I mean, you know, we grew, I grew up with New York radio back in the 50s and 60s, and that, you know, that was the greatest radio in the world you're going to get is, is New York City radio. It's amazing. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I learned a lot, a lot of great things about it. I used to love the Young Rascals and Mitch Ryder and the Detroit Wheels. You know, there's so many great acts going on out there and uh and plus, we sound really good live. You know, I got that old like seventies R and B in me, and it's uh, people really still get off on it. You know. Yeah, well, I think you know some of it is you've got an arsenal of hits. I mean, that that really for for most you know the people who are going to be coming to the show, you're you're spanning. You know, I, I might be you know in kind of majority or minority, but you know, for me, can't hold back. Came out, you know, what nineteen eighty six, something like that. You know, I was kind of, yeah. you know, in my mid-teenage years, and it, you know, I think really spoke to me. You've got, you know, a whole generation, really, before that, who, with the first several albums, you know, for me, those were ones I went well, back in a lot of... You know, we still do those songs, we still do those songs live, because people want to hear them. Yeah. You know, they want to hear, they want to hear, we, we should be sleeping, they want to hear Take Me Off the Night, they want to hear Shaken, they want yeah. to Baby Hold On, Two Tickets to Paradise, you know, I yeah. think I'm in love, and think of all the fucking tracks I had on the radio, it's incredible. Yeah. And that they, that's exactly it. I mean, you you don't have a you you know you know the songs you had were such signature songs that you know they're not songs you can take out and it you know I know for a lot of bands it's very difficult to work new material in because you're only on stage for a certain amount of time. 
You know, so you can't right. do, you know, 25, you know, hits that were in the top 40 and then throw in six songs from a new album it can be very difficult right. to do. So you've yeah, got they're to not going to, you throw a couple of new songs that's from the new records or what you do, you know? Yeah. You know, but uh, the, the thing, I mean, if you think about it, I had like 23, 24 songs in the top 100. That's a lot of fucking tunes in the top 100, you know? And I knew B. Mitchell Reed and I knew Cousin Brucey and I know all the DJs in New York and Pennsylvania and, you know, I mean, it's like, you know, I mean, when I was on the radio, I mean, I remembered all the, I always remembered all the DJs. I remember their wives' names. I remember their kids. I remember yeah. where they used to work. You know, because DJs, they get moved around a lot. One day yeah. they're in Schenectady in New York. The next day you're, they're in Youngstown, Ohio. Yeah. You know, they're putting the kid, they're putting the kids in a different school, and the wife's got to develop a new friendship. And it's really hard for a DJ. It's not easy. Yeah, it was not. You know, and, and it's it's neat to see that you know there's still some. You know, I know in Pittsburgh some classic DJs that were there. You know, in the '80s, '70s, that are still doing it. Um, but you know, the oh, yeah, radio in Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh got some great radio stations. I always got a lot of airplay in Pittsburgh, man. Yeah. Pittsburgh is like Cleveland, only better. I mean, the, the market is like, you know, it's wide open. And if people like you, they're going to play you, you know? Mm-hmm. And then you get on the radio, you do drive time with the DJs, you do drive time in the morning, you, you get to know these guys, and you have a lot of fun, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I know, for example, uh, you know, Give Me Some Water. That song, I, I would venture to say, maybe gets more airplay in Pittsburgh than any of your other songs. <laughs> you know, on 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 the classic rock stations, you know, for some reason they love that song, and I think it's a song that, you know, maybe you don't. It wasn't maybe as overplayed as some of the other songs may have been. You know, so people right. still love to hear that song. You know, I, I would imagine. I do it. I do. I do it every night. They love it every night. They can't. Believe, you know, I'm so happy to have a take me all time. I'm shaking it. Two takes power. Think I'm in love. Want to go back? I have all these songs on my set. I mean, I'm a lucky guy. The big guy upstairs really liked me. I made sure that I had a lot of hits on all my records, you know. And yeah. uh, I mean, when I was making records, I was making sure that there was AM hits. Remember AM radio? You know, I was yeah. on FM radio. AM radio and FM radio. FM radio was college radio. AM radio was like maybe I'm a fool, two tickets to paradise, you know. I mean, that's, mm-hmm. you know, that's AM radio. FM radio was more like shaking and, you know, want to go back and, you know. But I mean, I always wrote for both, I always wrote for both formats. I wrote for college oh. radio and I wrote, I always wrote for college radio and then I wrote for top 40 radio. Eddie, when, when MTV came along, I mean, I remember talking to Greg Kinn, who uh, if you, your career and his career crossed paths many times about this, you know, and Greg was, you know, such a pioneer in, in the world of video. But I remember, you know, the videos for I Think I'm in Love and, and Shaken and things like that. Um, how did you feel about MTV? Was it something you took seriously right out of the gate, or is it something you just had to do because you had to do? No, what I know, I got an MTV. Yeah, Nina Blackmore on there. You had a look. You had uh, Martha Quinn. You had Michael mm-hmm. Jackson. You know, really a great bunch of DJs that were on radio and just fun people to hang around with. You know. And they right. liked me, and I liked them, and me and you and Lewis, man, we were like, you know, we were the, we were the darling of, of, of MTV. I mean, people really loved our material, and uh, you know, I really went over. I, I mean, MTV was really actually very, very good for me. You know, I mean, they liked yeah. me, I liked them, and now I'm on Access TV too, and I got a lot of TV shows that, that, that I'm popular with too. You know, so, I mean, right. I like doing TV. TV's a lot of fun, you know. Yeah, I think you've got the, you know, in addition to, you know, obviously great singing voice, great songwriting, 
you've got a personality and a charisma, I think, that, that translates well, um, you know, to an audience. You know, there's a, you know, for lack of a better word, you're quite a character. Um, and I mean that in the highest possible I did a show the other day, and this girl below my feet, right below my feet, was crying. Her eye makeup was running down the cheeks like a little girl who lost a puppy. And I made sure my wife wasn't looking. I bent down. I said, hey, baby, she said, you're, you're, you're standing on my fingers. You're, <laughs> you're, standing, you're standing on my fingers. But you know me. I, I've always got a couple of jokes, and it's, uh, I like to make people laugh. And You know, I like comedy. I like to get out there and have fun, you know? Yeah, yeah, and in a lot of ways, I could see, you know, in your career and speaking to you now, uh, many times over the years that you probably could have gone into stand-up, you know, had had God not blessed you with a, a great singing voice, you know, you I, could have I, been I the next be... Rodney, Rodney Dangerfield. Dangerfield. Rodney yeah. was great, wasn't he, man? I think yeah. what he said, I, 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 he says, I know my parents were crazy about me when they bought me a toaster for a bath toy. <laughs> <laughs> Rodney was the best. I love him to death. He was amazing. John, great talking, man. Have a great day. All right. You know what I like. The Motor City Madman is back. Ted Nugent. The music made me do it again. I got me a rock and roll band. It's a funeral. August 6th, Carnegie Music Hall of Homestead. We serve seats on sale now at librarymusichall.com or by phone. Ted Nugent, the music made me do it again. Produced by Drusky Entertainment. All right, again, May 11th, Meadowlands Racetrack Casino. Uh, that venue, for those uh, curious, that is an indoor event, climate controlled, um, and it is open to those under 21. You just have to park in the parking garage, and apparently there is an entrance from the parking garage directly into the venue. So uh, if you want to bring a uh, you know, you see a lot of teenagers anymore at uh, classic rock shows, which is is wonderful. But I think uh, I, I think a lot of teenagers find classic rock to be quite cool right now. So you want to take the kids out to see uh, Eddie Money? It's a easy easy thing to get into. And again, uh, White Snake, a band that really goes from you know right where Deep Purple stopped with David Coverdale to to making great music today. Another opportunity, and they'll be in town on. May 14th to do a show at Greensburg at the Palace. So two great shows um, and, and many, many great shows coming into Pittsburgh over the next uh, few months. It's it's a wonderful time of year uh, when all the bands who don't like to come to Pittsburgh in January and February when the weather sucks, um, to see them start rolling the buses into Western PA. So we encourage you to get out and see the show. That's why we do what we do is um, obviously to profile shows that uh, maybe you weren't aware were coming or forgot how cool a band was or just are intrigued by what they have to say you know the more of you who get out to these shows the more promoters are going to bring these shows to the city um that, that's always been kind of the key um you know if somebody brings a white snake to town and nobody knows they're coming don't sell enough tickets that's a financial risk for a promoter so we we like to see people get out get to the shows have a great time you know, support the artists, but uh, support the venues, support, you know, all the people that work on these things. Uh, it's not just about supporting David Goverdale. It's all the people involved financially who bring the show to town, the people who make their livelihood, you know, selling you a drink or helping you get to your seat. Um, those are all important things. Those are all important roles in the uh, vitality of the Pittsburgh concert area. You know, a lot of a lot of press gets paid to, you know, helping local musicians, and that's great. We, we try to do that as much as we can as well. Um, 
but another element of uh, we feel is making sure that when musicians come through the Pittsburgh area that we support them because everyone is obviously in their life had a band that we looked at their concert dates and it was like Cleveland and then they're playing in Philadelphia and shoot they skipped us we want to make sure that we generate enough interest in shows that when a tour is routed people don't want to miss Pittsburgh because there's such a healthy audience so we encourage you to get out and see those shows support national musicians local musicians and the people who work in that economy so we want to thank you for listening you can visit us at ironcityrocks.com we're on Facebook Instagram YouTube Twitter um, probably a few other social media sites that we forgot we even set up but we're there uh, check those out. They're all forward slash Iron City Rocks. You can contact us at ironcityrocks at gmail.com. Love to hear from you. Let us know about your band, whether you're a multi platinum band coming through Pittsburgh or you're a local band um, or you're a band, uh, you know, an unsigned band from another city who's coming through Pittsburgh. You know, we're glad to take a listen to what you have and, and again, support people coming out to see your show if it's quality music. So please get in touch with us. And we thank you so much for your time. Again, White Snake, Greensburg on the 14th of May. Eddie Money, Washington, PA at the Meadowlands Racetrack and Casino on the 11th. So get out and check both those out. Until next time, we want to thank you for listening. (laughs) 